The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. We are going to jump in right now, though, to the book of Nehemiah. You guys ready for this? Here we go. Back in Nehemiah, we are in chapter eight tonight. So if you want to grab the Bibles in front of you, if you don't have one or if you're using a mobile device, that's cool. But in the Bibles in front of you in the chairs, it's on page 409. We're going to be reading Nehemiah 8, starting in verse 7, going through verse 12. All right, Nehemiah 8, here we go. So the Levites, insert a bunch of names here. Then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. They read from the book of the law, and God clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks, and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, Hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's words and understood them. Man, I was really hoping Crystal would read those names so I could hear her botch them. I'm just glad I didn't have to read those, though, because that would have been pretty bad. I also never thought I'd be preaching at a table saw, so this is pretty cool. I like this. Whoever had this idea, that was fantastic. Well, hey, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Justin. I'm the middle school and high school pastor here at Crosspoint. Uh, just excited that you guys are all here with us. Before we start, I would just love to take some time to pray and devote our time to the Lord. So if you join me real quick. Jesus, we just thank you so much for this time. I thank you for each person in this room tonight, Lord. Uh, I don't know what we've all walked in here with, Lord. I know some of us are carrying a lot. We're lots of distractions, lots of things going on. Help us to lay those things to the side right now for this next 45 minutes or so. And we would take something away from, from this night, whatever it is that you have for us. So we just devote this time to you, and, and we praise you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. <clears throat> And so if you have not been with us here the last few weeks, what I'd like to do is just kind of give a brief recap of where we're at here in the book of Nehemiah. So this great project has started rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem, um, and lots of crazy things are starting to unfold, right? Lots of opposition that we've been talking about the last few weeks, both internally and externally, right? People within the walls of Jerusalem uh, and and enemies from outside, um, even people inside, people of power that are doing some crazy and ridiculous things uh, that are are putting a pause on this project or making it a little difficult to continue. 
Right? So we're so close. Right now, we, tonight, we find ourselves in Nehemiah chapter 6. And I want to read a few verses for you. These aren't going to be up on the screen, but where we're at is we're so close that the project is almost finished. And this is what Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 says. Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. Though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates... So Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. A little sidebar, if a place is named Ono, it's probably a red flag, you probably shouldn't go. It's just, Ono, I ain't going. But I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. And so for Nehemiah at this point, it seems like the hits just keep on coming. Man, left and right, it's just non-stop. And so what I'd like to talk about with you guys tonight, my, my, my hope is that we would be able to understand and, and see how Nehemiah does this. How does he do this job well? And then for us, how do we do our work well? Whatever work God has assigned to us, how do we finish the job well? How do we do things well in the midst of relentless opposition, when it just does not stop coming. Um, and for you, maybe it's not a building project, right? Maybe it's, I'm trying to build my family. I'm trying to rebuild my marriage. I'm trying to make uh, good decisions in the workplace, whatever it is. How do we continue the work that God has given us, like Nehemiah? Uh, and what are the things that empower us and equip us to do that when, when the hits just keep on coming? And so, uh, 11 years ago, 11 years ago now? No, 12 years ago. So six months after I became uh, a Christian, when I first discovered who Jesus was, there was this movie that came out, a Christian movie called Courageous. And this was like the time where all the good Christian movies were coming out, like the like late 2000s, uh, mid 2010s, right? like Facing the Giants. We've got some really good movies that came out. And Courageous was one of these, uh, and my dad was all about it. My dad was a police officer for 25 years. So he was like, let's go, let's go see it, because the, the whole story story centered around uh, policing, and so we went to go see this movie. Um, obviously, there's the main story, and just like all sorts of movies, we've got lots of characters and uh, side stories and character development going on, and one of the characters in that movie just stood out to me for some reason as I was thinking about this. His name was Javier. Uh, if you've seen it, you've know, you know the story, but Javier was a guy that was kind of down on his luck, um, lost his job, and he wants to honor God. He wants to pursue God. God, just help me. What do I need to do? And God starts opening up some doors for Javier. He gives him a landscaping job, and Javier is doing so well. Uh, he, he's earning a good reputation. Uh, and then he gets offered this job at a factory, takes that job, and things just seem like they're finally starting to turn around for Javier. He, he's rebuilding his family. He's supporting them. He's got a couple kids, I think, and, and his wife at home. And then one day his boss calls Javier in. He says, Javier, you've been doing a great job. Uh, we want to offer you a potential job promotion. Uh, we want you to try and start next week. We're going to do a trial period. And when you come in, we want you, uh, you're going to receive a shipment on the first day of 17 boxes. Uh, but we want you to report on the inventory that we only received 16. Javier says, you want me to lie on the report? He says, well, I'm looking for team players here, Javier. And I, if you can't be a team player, I don't know if we want you on our team. So he says, why don't you go home and think it over? And you let me know what your final answer is in the morning. All right, so Javier's conflicted. He goes home and he's talking to his wife. What do we what do? We do? She's like, well, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe, maybe there's a reason why they're telling you to do that. He goes, no. 
They're telling me to lie on a report. I can't do that. And so Javier goes to work the next day and tells his boss, he says, I can't do what you've asked. He says, it would be a dishonor to my God and my family. His boss says, you know what this could do to your job here, Javier? He says, yes, I do. And his boss gets up and he shakes Javier's hand and we realize that it was a setup the whole time. His boss was trying to see if he could find somebody with integrity. He says, Javier, to be honest, you were the last person on our list, but the job is yours. And the last thing he says to Javier, he says, thanks for your integrity. It's rare. And I remember at 16 years old, just that scene taught me an invaluable lesson that my integrity and my obedience to God are incredibly important, far more important than I realize. And so I highlight the story of Javier in this film um, because I think that it's something that we see Nehemiah do so well throughout this story already. His level of integrity and obedience in the midst of opposition and things that are happening and other people are doing ridiculous things. And Nehemiah is very, very serious about honoring God. And I think that he has a lot to teach. This story about Nehemiah has a lot to teach us about how we can do that ourselves in the midst of relentless opposition. And so that's the big question tonight is, how do we do the work that God has given us in the midst of relentless opposition? So the first uh, point on your note sheet there, you guys can fill this in, is that we submit to God's word. We submit to God's word. In the midst of relentless uh, opposition, we submit to God's word. And I love this idea of submission. Uh, submitting, all submitting really is, is surrendering to, an author- surrendering, surrendering to the authority of someone or something. That's all submission is, right? So when I say submitting to God's word, what I'm saying is, is that God's word is my final authority. God's word is the authority in my life. That's, that's what I'm talking about here, okay? And I think that there's two ways that we do this. There's two, way, two big ways that we submit to God's word, and I want to break those down. The first one is this, uh, and it comes from... Psalm 119, Uh, and if you're not familiar with Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. There's 176 verses in there. There's five other books of the Bible that could be squished into Psalm 119, just one chapter. It's it's ridiculously long, Uh, but not only is it unique because it's long, uh, it's unique because the author focuses so much on this idea of obedience, obedience to God's word obedience to God's commands. And it's fascinating as you read it. And I want to read a few verses with you guys. They're going to be up on the screen. It's Psalm 119, starting in verse 1. It says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. And I love those first three verses, especially that first verse, joyful are those of integrity. Um, And so the first way that we submit to God's word is this, guys, is that we we don't compromise with sin. We submit to God's word by not compromising with sin. And and that's an ugly three-letter word that I feel like we don't like to use much, right? Sin. Uh, I think we've all heard that word, but I think maybe we're not really familiar with what that actually means. What is sin? Uh, All sin is is a rebellion against God. It's a rebellion against God's design. It's a rebellion against God's desire for your life. It goes against everything that God has designed is sin. When we turn our back on what God says, that's sin. That's all sin is, right? And so if that's sin then that begs the question, well, if God's desire, if God has a design for me and that sin is against that, then what is God's desire for me? What is God's design for me? Uh, quite honestly, we could take weeks talking about that idea, what God's desire and purpose is for us, but I think that Jesus gives us a really good hint 
uh, during his life, and it comes from John 10.10. 10. It's the second part of that verse um, where Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. He says, I want to give you a rich and satisfying life. And when I say rich and satisfying, I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about pleasurable. The word there, this life, is, is, is from the Greek zoe, and what this word actually means is this et- it's like this eternal life. It's this life that God created. It's, it's shaped entirely by God. It's this word. Beth's what Beth loves when I use Greek words. But I, I find it fascinating because I feel like we can misunderstand what that's trying to say. But Jesus is saying, no, it's not about money. It's not about pleasure. I, I have so much more to offer you than that. This rich and satisfying life that's better than anything else. And even with that in mind, you guys, the truth is is that obedience is still just really hard. Obedience is stinking hard sometimes, especially when it's with good intentions. Like Javier, for example, trying to keep his job, trying to support his family. It's just a little lie. Come on, it's probably not going to hurt anybody, right? It's easy to compromise with sin when we have good intentions of protecting ourselves, protecting our families, right? And Nehemiah actually finds himself in the middle of a situation like this in Nehemiah chapter 6. After these threats that he's received from his enemies, uh, in verse 10 in chapter 6, it says that he went to visit somebody in Jerusalem, and this person says, let's meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. And I love Nehemiah's response here. He says, but I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. And at surface level, we're like, okay, Nehemiah, come on, dude. Like, they're coming to kill you. Go protect yourself, man. But when we realize that there's a specific reason that he was not allowed to enter the temple because he wasn't a priest, it would have been sinful for Nehemiah to enter the temple, even to save his own life. And Nehemiah was so serious about his obedience and his integrity He wasn't willing to compromise with sin even to save his own skin. Like, man, that's a level of obedience that I want to practice. Like, how do you do that? Nehemiah recognized that the compromise wasn't worth what God had in store for him and his people. The compromise was not worth what God had in store for them. Years ago, as I read this this uh, chapter, Psalm 119, it was like six years ago probably, I wrestled with this idea so much like, man, look at how the author's talking about obedience, joy, delight, understanding, like all these things as you read Psalm 119. And I remember saying, I want that. I want to be that excited about following God. How come I don't feel that? I want to get there. And so I devoted this time. God, I went on this personal mission just to say, I want to get that excited about following God because I feel like I'm missing something here. I feel like I'm missing something. And as I, as I did that, I started to realize a few things over the years. And this is the way I'd like to put it for you guys tonight. We don't submit to God's word simply for the sake of submitting to God's word. Does that make sense? Okay. We submit to God's word as a way for us to know God and to experience his glory and his goodness in our lives. That's why we submit to God's word. It's not just to say, I'm doing the right things. I did what God asked. No, it's, it's far deeper than that. And I think it's something that Nehemiah recognized, that God's doing something here, and I don't want to miss it. He has something for me here, and I don't want to miss it. And that goes back to what Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, this rich and satisfying life. That's what I want to experience through my obedience. And then 
we, we need to realize, church, that this right here, this is not something that we check off on a box to say, I did it. This is a tool that's designed to help you know God in a way to experience that life that he's given you. It's a tool, but you have to use it. This is not an end all in itself. We have to realize that. It leads, this is what leads us to a, a life of moral obligation and religious duty, to a life that's filled with joy as we realize that God's way is just far better for us. That's what this is designed for. That's what obedience is designed for, is to help us see that. And the truth is about moral obligation, religious duty, you guys, it just doesn't last long. If you're just doing it to say, I did it, check off the box, I'm doing what God asked, you're just going to burn yourself out. You're going to be miserable. That's a miserable life if that's all you're doing, is just saying, I did it. That's not what God desires for us. It's so much more than that. Right? If our perspective is, well, I guess I should just do what God says because he's asked me to and all these people are doing this and, well, I guess I can't do that. Right? If that's our mindset, man, it has to shift. It has to shift from that. C.S. Lewis, uh, I love quoting him. A quote from him is going to pop up on the screen for you guys here in a second. Um, I think it's my goal to use a quote from him every time I preach. But in one of his uh, books, he, I love the way that he puts this. He says, it would seem that the Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak, when infinite joy is offered to us. And what he's saying here is, like, God's not limiting you from a life of, of joy and fulfillment and pleasure. He's looking at the things that we settle for and going, really? Like, I have so much more to offer you than that. So much more. And our mindset has to shift from viewing God's word as a limitation in our lives to an invitation to a better life. It's not a limitation in your life. It's an invitation to the best life possible, church. We have to shift. And this, this is our desire for you guys here at Crosspoint as our staff prayed and talked about this this week. Because see what happens when obedience moves from here down to here? And you understand God's word in a way that says, man, I want that life that he has for me. Obedience just comes easier that way. And you'll want to start following him more. You'll be excited about following Jesus because you know that he's inviting you in the best thing imaginable. And so that's the first way that we submit to God's word. We don't compromise with sin. We understand what sin is and we know that God has a better life in store for us. And we don't compromise with it. And then the second thing we do, the second way that we submit to God's word is when we see that it's not just about obedience to his commands, but it's also submitting to the promises about what the Bible says about who God is and about what he says about you. We have to submit to God's promises about what the Bible says about him and about what he says about us. This is so important. And we're going to come back to this in a few minutes, uh, but this is what I want to see. Or say, if we don't see God's promises in here, if we don't actually open up this book and view God's promises and see what he says about him and see what he says about us, we're going to be far more prone to compromise with sin. Far more prone to it. Why? Because I don't know what God says. I haven't looked at the life that he has designed for me. I'm not holding on to any promises that he's given me, right? Because God's promises are the very thing that empower us to continue walking in obedience. Like, if it weren't for God's promises, I probably wouldn't be doing it, right? If I didn't have some goal, if I didn't have some, this is what I have for you, if, I didn't, if Jesus hadn't told me the life that he desired for me, if God didn't lay that out in this book, I probably wouldn't be doing it. Why? Because 
I don't want to do it just to do it. I want to know that there's a reason for my obedience. And scripture makes that abundantly clear for us, you guys. That our obedience is so important. And so in the midst of relentless opposition, we do these two things. We submit to God's word by not compromising with sin. And we also submit to God's word by submitting to his promises. By what he says about him and about what he says about us. And so this is the second thing that we do. In the midst of relentless opposition, right? We submit to God's word and the second thing that we need to do. And this is the second uh, fill-in on your note sheet. You can write this down. Is that we need to watch out for traps. Okay? We need to watch out for traps. In, verse, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 8, after these threats, the threatening letters come to Nehemiah. He replied uh, to these threats. He said, I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. So what Nehemiah does here is he spots the trap and he recognizes what his enemies are trying to do. And this is what traps do, okay? Traps hurt us and they inhibit us. That's a free one for you guys, okay? If you didn't know what traps do, right, they hurt you and they slow you down. They inhibit you. That's what traps do. And I think that there's two major traps that we need to be aware of, that we need to watch out for in our lives, okay? And so the first trap is the enemy's traps. If you're not really familiar with the Christian faith, we use this terminology a lot, the enemy, the enemy. All we're talking about there is Satan, that, that Satan is out to get you. Satan wants to... And it's what John 10.10 actually says, this first part of that verse, right? The second part, Jesus says his purpose for us. The first part of that verse, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? And he's taught, the thief there, he's talking about Satan. He says that Satan's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy everything from you. Satan wants to steal your joy. He wants to destroy the work that God is doing in your life. And he wants you to hurt. He wants you to hurt, and he doesn't want you to experience any part of God's good plan for your life. And so you bet that he's going to be coming after you, and especially as you take a step to move closer towards God, as you start to walk in obedience, he's going to come after you even harder because he doesn't want you to experience that life that Jesus promised for you. John Eldridge, he's a pretty awesome dude. Um, great author. I've read some of his books. You've probably heard of some, Wild at Heart. Um, fantastic, fantastic work. One of his books called Waking the Dead. I, I've loved this quote that I heard from him years ago. It's going to pop up on the screen. This is what he has to say about this. The story of your life is the story of the long and brutal assault on your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears it. Doesn't that put it into perspective a little bit? You see what the enemy's trying to do? He knows exactly what God has in store for you, and he doesn't want you to have any part in it. And so it's this brutal assault on your life where he's trying to steal your joy and destroy God's plan and hurt you. That's all he wants. And so we, we have to watch out for this, right? And there's a few ways that the enemy does this. Uh, a few ideas from this come out of Revelation chapter 12. Uh, uh, what John, the author, is writing, he says that, he, about Satan, he says he's the great deceiver, he's deceiving the whole world, and he accuses God's people day and night, right? And so two tactics that the enemy uses against us are these ideas of accusation and deception, okay? And I heard this a while ago from someone that's a lot smarter than I am, 
but I hope that it's helpful for you guys tonight, as helpful as it was for me when I heard it. So I want to unpack these two tactics that the enemy uses for us, accusation and deception. When Satan accuses you and I of something, what he's saying is, let's use some examples. You're not good enough. You're a terrible spouse. You're a terrible parent. God will never use you. You, a part of God's kingdom, a part of God's plan, not with your past, right? Like, these are the types of accusations that he hits us with. And what I heard is fantastic. Accusation gets its power from our agreement with it. Man, is that so true? That when I accept those accusations, you're not good enough. Yeah, you're right, I'm not. You a part of God's plan? Yeah, you're right. He probably can't use me. Right? That's where it gets its power. That's where, that's where Satan gets his power. When, he, when I agree with the lies that he's presenting before me, he's already won. And he takes me out of what God has in store for me when I agree with those accusations, right? What's the opposite of a lie? It's not a trick question. Truth, right? Opposite of a lie is truth, right? And so when Satan lies to us, how do we need to fight back against those lies? With truth, right? And so we fight back against Satan's lies with God's truth. So when Satan accuses me of something, I need to resort back to God's truth to fight back against that. That's exactly what I need to be doing. And so going back to God's promises... When he says that you'll never be good enough and God can't use you, all I, need to go, all I need to do is go back to God's promises and say, that's not true. That's not true about God. That's not true about me. And I will not let you convince me of that. And it's a fight that we fight often. But if we don't know, again, if we don't know what God's promises are, those accusations are going to destroy us. They're going to eat at us. And then the second thing is deception, right? And, and deception is just, he's just a liar. Satan is just a liar. And he's been doing it since the beginning of time. He calls good bad and bad good, and he's got tons of practice doing it. He's been doing it since Adam and Eve. And he lies to us with bad information. And at the root of all of his lies is this. You can't trust God. You can't trust what God says. You can't trust what Scripture says. You can't trust God. That's Satan's MO, and he will do everything that he can to convince you of that. Things like, well, maybe God wasn't serious when he said A, B, or C. Oh, maybe, maybe Jesus isn't the only way to the Father. Maybe, no, he presents us with bad information, and if we're not careful, we can fall for it. These are the traps from the enemy that we have to watch out for. He accuses us and he deceives us, and we have to watch out. And then the second trap, right? The first trap is the enemy's traps. The second trap that you and I need to watch out for is it's just people traps. It's just people. Sometimes I feel like as we're se- for seasoned Christians, we get this idea of fighting against Satan. Like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight back against that. I'm going to fight back against those lies. I got this. But man, when people... Lay some traps in front of you, and that hurts, especially when it's someone you know. Man, that's very real and very personal. And sometimes those traps are a lot harder to navigate. And I feel like we tend to give people a little bit too much power with their words and the things that they say about us, the things that people do. 
right? Uh, this is for all my people pleasers in the room. If you're like me, okay, this is for you. We need to stop caring so much about what other people think about us and start caring far more about what God thinks about you. You cannot give people this much power. And sometimes people are just relentless. Like here in Nehemiah 6, five different times they send him this threatening letter. And I find what, I mean, you ever been in a position like that? Where someone's just slandering you? Spreading lies about you? I've been there, that sucks. And what you want to do is you just want to go chase that down and be like, no, that's wrong, that's not true, right? But what we find Nehemiah doing here most of the time so he just ignores it. He just ignores it and moves on. Why should I stop this work to go and meet with you? Why should I stop? He's not about to give these people that much power. If, you're not, if we're not careful, when that happens in our lives, right, we, just, we tend to fix on it, fixate on it, right, and then it just festers inside of our minds. You ever wasted like a whole day thinking about somebody that somebody said, and it just left you unproductive and you didn't get things done? Like, I've got four kids, and there's been times where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've been wasting, and wasting time and dwelling on this all day. Just completely distracting me from what God's trying to have me do. We have to be careful there. And a helpful tip for this, it's, it's what Nehemiah does. It's, it's don't, ch- don't chase after your integrity. Um, a wonderful person shared this with me a few years back. Don't chase your integrity, right? Sometimes it's better to just leave it alone. Sometimes it's better to ignore it and move on than allow allow it to become a distraction in your life. Because here's the thing. If it's not true, then it's not true. And you don't need to worry about chasing it down to prove it. And and when you do, congratulations, you prove that it's not true, but it distracted you. It took you away from what God was trying to do, and what did you get? Don't worry about chasing your integrity. And be careful about how much time and energy you give people and what they're doing or what they're saying about you. This is why scripture is so important, you guys, is because it literally gives us the roadmap to see where the traps are and to avoid them. But you have to open it up and read it or else you're going to miss them. It's a tool. Again, it's a tool. It's designed to help us to see those things and to be aware of them, right? And so in the midst of relentless opposition, we have to watch out for these traps. We submit to God's word and we watch out for the traps that the enemy has laid before us and that people have laid before us. And so as we kind of wrap up with Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, we see that the wall has been completed, right? Um, 52 days, I'm going to paraphrase some things for you guys because we don't really have time to read through it, but 52 days it took for this project to complete. A problem that had persisted for over 100 years was accomplished in 52 days. Like, praise God. God came through for his people. He's done something wonderful. It says that their enemies were frightened and humiliated because they realized that this had been done by the help of God. Wow. And then after this, uh, it says a week later, after everyone had kind of uh, uh, settled, that they had gathered together, witnessing this great project that had been completed, witnessing what God had done, and that they came together in Nehemiah chapter 8. They come together, and they're reading God's word together. It says they're doing it from like early morning till noon. 
we've never had a church service that long. Like, these people were serious about listening to God's word, and they're, they're worship, worshiping him. Their faces are on the ground. Um, but what it, sh- what it tells us is happening here is that they're weeping and they're mourning. And Nehemiah's like, what the heck are we doing? And he comes alongside the people in uh, verse 9, as Crystal read for us, says, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be, uh, don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Man, what a fantastic response, and we're going to unpack that because it's so good. And the thing about this, you guys, we've talked a lot about submission to God's word, right? And what happens when we're serious about our submission to God's word, we start to realize that just as much as God cares about our serious pursuit of obedience and holiness, he cares just as much about our celebration and our joy and pleasure. He cares just as much about those things for us. We realize that there's a time for conviction, that there's a time for sadness and mourning and a time for uh, weeping, but that, that there's also a time for celebration. There's a time for it all. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, Solomon talks about this. It'll be up on the screen for you guys. In verse 1, Solomon writes, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. And he moves on in verse 4, it says, A time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. And I love that this passage exists because it's such a healthy reminder for us as Christians. It's such a healthy reminder for us. Because if we're not careful, we get so fixated on certain things that God desires from us, like obedience, and we neglect other things that are important to him as well. Like celebrating. Like joyous laughter. Right? Sometimes the best way to free you up as a Christian, to, to alleviate that pressure that's on your shoulders, is to realize that God doesn't expect you to be serious all the time. He just doesn't expect it from you. He gave us a smile for a reason. We should probably start using it more. He gave us laughter for a reason. Uh, for the guys out there, apparently women laugh 126% more than we do. We need to start laughing some more. You start having fun. Start using that laugh that God gave you why? Because it's helpful for you, right? So, uh, studies have shown constantly. You guys remember that movie Patch Adams with Robin Williams, right? Laughter's the best medicine, right? Like, it's so true. And studies have shown laughter helps with your immune system. It helps with all sorts of things. It alleviates stress. It, it helps with mental health, like all these things that just a simple laugh can do in your life. Do you realize that God finds that important? He wants you to concentrate on that sometimes. It's easy to, but, but the thing is, is that it's easy to forget these things because of everything else that's going on around us, right? Like, Justin, but there's, there's people in the world that are starving, right? Do you see what's happening in the schools? Do you see what's going on? Like, we've got work to do, 
We need to get it done, right? And it's, it's easy to become distracted by some of those things which are good and great and God-honoring. But there's a very important reason why God has called us to celebrate. And it's the last point on your note sheet. And you can write this down, and it's what Nehemiah says here. He says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Realize that there could have been any other word inserted there. The work of the Lord is your strength. The justice of the Lord is your strength. The obedience to the Lord is your strength, right? But what does he say? He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah calls the people to celebrate because he knows that it's important. Right? And so we have Psalms like Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible that concentrates so heavily on this idea of obedience, right? But we also have lots of other Psalms, like Psalm 146 through Psalm 150 that are the praise Psalms. You guys ever read through some of the praise Psalms? And it's not just those, it's all throughout Psalms, but the praise Psalms, it's so focused on this idea of praising God, of celebrating God. Those two words are so closely related, praise and celebration. It's a praise and celebration about who God is and what he's done and what he's doing. And why is this focus there? Why is it not just all about obedience, submission, seriousness all the time? Well, it's because celebrating who God is and what he's done is the fuel that enables us to continue doing the work that God's called us to do. That's what I want you guys to realize. Celebrating who God is is the fuel that enables us to continue doing the work that God has called us to do. Because if we're just serious all the time, you're going to burn out. You be careful. Laugh a little bit. Relax. Like, this is what Nehemiah is saying here. He's saying, go, like, enjoy good food. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. Relax. Don't, you don't need to be so focused on mourning and weeping. Enjoy yourself. Why? Because it's important. It's an, it's an important thing to keep us going. It's not because it's just important for us, but it's important to God that we take those things seriously, you guys. So when we take advantage of the time that God desires us to do these things, like celebrate, eat, God gave you taste buds. That's another thing I forgot to say. God gave you taste buds. He didn't have to give you taste buds. He gave you taste buds because he wants you to enjoy good food. Like That's how he designed it. He wants you to enjoy those things. So we need to take advantage of that. Uh, one of my youth leaders, I love this. It's like a running joke that we have now in middle school and high school. Uh, she always says when we have long days or like our lock-in, she goes, at some point I need to take a break because if I don't, I'm not going to be good for the kingdom of God. And it's so funny when she says it, but it's like this running joke now, and it, but there's so much truth in it. If I don't take the time seriously to celebrate, to relax, to eat, to rest, I'm not going to be good enough. For, I'm not going to be good for God's kingdom at some point. I need to take advantage of those things in order to make me better for God's kingdom. Because when I do do those things, it's just fuel. It just empowers me to be better for God. That's why it's so important. We're just better for the kingdom when we take advantage of everything that God desires for us. And that's when it comes back to submission to God's word because that's all in here, you guys. It's not just about your obedience. It's not just about your seriousness. God cares about us celebrating who he is, what he's done, holding on to his promises about what he says about you 
Do you know what he says about you, Crosspoint? Have you read what he says about you? When we submit to God's word, we recognize all of these things. I'm going to invite our worship team to make their way up as we start to wrap up. As as people are moving around up here, stick with me. I have a a few more things that I want to cover with you guys. So we just uh, got off Super Bowl Sunday, right? Anyone go to parties last Super Bowl parties last weekend? I didn't. I just don't care about the Super Bowl, right? But people love the Super Bowl. People love football. I used to be an avid Chargers fan for a number of years, so I get it, man. I had, I had my merch. I had my helmet. I'd wear my, my big old helmet that didn't fit my head as a kid as we watched games. Like, grown men are painting their faces, losing their minds over guys throwing around a piece of leather. Like, we love to celebrate, and we love our football, you know? And, and what's fascinating about football, it's 18 weeks out of the year. 18 out of the 52 weeks is football season, right? And we're not even going to be to the next season for a while, but we're going to be sure we're going to sure be talking about the Super Bowl up until then, right? We're going to be talking about that holding call for a long time, right? We're going to be talking about the Super Bowl up until the next Super Bowl. Like you ever been to a Super Bowl party and people are trying to enjoy the game or they're like, "Oh, this is well, remember last Super Bowl." They're like, "Can we just enjoy this one? Like we don't need to talk about last year." But we love to celebrate and there's something that's so powerful in that though, church. That, that this this fuel, it's you can see it in the air, you can see what it does to people when we take time to celebrate with joy. And this is my desire for us as I bring that up cross point. I just want us to be that excited about God and what he's doing. Like, as excited as we get about football, can we take some time to be that excited and celebrate what God's done for us? What he's doing in this valley? What he's doing through each of you? That should excite us. That should encourage us. We should celebrate that. And so maybe for you guys today, maybe you don't really feel like you have much to celebrate. Maybe whatever it is that you've been trying to build or rebuild in your life just not been going so hot. Maybe you've been compromising with sin. Maybe you haven't been taking God's word as seriously as you should. Maybe you've been missing out on some of the promises that he has for you. But whatever it is, regardless of whatever you've walked in here carrying tonight, we come together here every weekend to say that regardless of any of it, we have great reason to celebrate because of what Jesus did for each of us. And that's that 2,000 years ago, God loved you and I so much that he stepped off of his throne and came down to this earth, lived a perfect life and died a death on a cross. And not only did he die, but he bore the punishment and wrath of God for your sin, for my sin, from yesterday, today, and tomorrow, so that you and I would never have to. Like, we should be celebrating that, church. That's why we're here every weekend, that regardless of what's going on, that because of what Jesus did for you, it doesn't matter. In Lamentations chapter 3, it says that God's mercies are new every day. Maybe that's a promise that you need to take advantage of tonight. His mercies are new for you regardless of what's been going on. And that you have reason to celebrate Jesus because of what he's done for you. And this is why we're here. We're going to take some time here in a minute to sing some songs to Jesus and about Jesus. But we want to invite you guys to take a moment at the four tables in the corners to celebrate communion. And what that is, is is what Jesus did on the cross for us. We take this piece of bread that symbolizes his body that was given up for you and I. And we drink this juice that symbolizes the blood 
that was spilt that solidified the covenant between God and you, that you would never have to pay for your sins because Jesus paid it for you. So we invite you to do that. And before we worship, there's, there's one thing that I want to do with you guys. We were talking about the Psalms, Psalm 119, Psalm 146 through 150. I want to read Psalm 150 with you guys. And if you want to flip there with me, you can. If you want to read it along with me, you can. But I want to read that for us before we worship because I think that it, it just depicts what we're doing here up on stage every weekend so well. And so I want to read it for you guys. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.